0: The free-for-all roundtable.
1: Round two. Joining me on the roundtable, Anne-Marie Aikens, Media and Crisis Communications Leader, Mark Mendelssohn, a former homicide detective in Toronto and a crime analyst for us, and Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. So, Tim, uh, your wife is filling in for me. You're here on the panel. At what point can we put your daughters to work?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Any time I had them on my show a couple of times When I had the, uh, the weekend uh, gig, Jerry I am a question Should it be a duet Or do you think they should go head to head and compete? Well, you know them I don't <laughs> yeah, but seeing, seeing the loving sisters and endearing, but seeing them sort of fight and compete already, I'd line them up against each other and have a bit of head-to-head <laughs> combat. That would
1: be a lot of fun, actually, to hear a couple of young girls just fight with one another. There's a radio show for you. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Anne-Marie, are you for or against this idea of taking the cars out of High Park? And would you go along with the idea some of my listeners had? If the cars go, so do the bicycles.
3: Oh, no, I wouldn't do that at all. I think that we have coped very well when uh, High Park gets closed down during, um, you know, our famous um, uh, blossom seasons. We we close it down to car traffic now. And the residents seem to cope with it. We all, you know, uh, it's not the end of the world. So I think they'll get used to it. People hate change. They hate they've had to cope with a lot of change in regards to uh, 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 because of the construction on our roads. And so uh, the frustration is really high. So I can feel that from people, but uh, I think they'll move on and uh, that will be that people will be able to safely use um, um, High Park, just not the cars. Okay. Uh, Well, and I say that
1: because there's uh, no no end of video evidence of how irresponsible the bicycle riders are in the parks. And Mark Mendelson, isn't there a restaurant in the middle of that park? You're asking an 85-year-old lady to walk to that park, to the restaurant?
0: No, yeah. And there is, there is one actually. Uh, but you know, this is, this has been an ongoing problem now for quite some time, Jerry. I mean, we, we recall you and I were talking about people complaining about uh, vehicles in high park, cars in high park and the speed and not, and not obeying stop signs. And then, you know, there was enforcement and people got upset that there was too much enforcement. And then went on to the bicycles and to the rollerbladers and the skateboarders. And, you know, they wanted the police to go in and deal with them and, and enforce the speed limits. And they did that. And then people, complain there was too many police, and now we're saying, close it off, don't close it off, and yesterday was an interesting, uh, you know, demonstration there. I mean, most people were appalled by the fact that, uh, you know, that, that they were being cut off from all of this, and, uh, you, you know, it, it, and they're they're also complaining, of course, that they were not consulted. Um, you know, we've had so many studies by the city, by Toronto Police, by, by, by City Works, sit everybody down at a table, figure out what to do. I mean, I, I think bicycles have to be allowed in there. That's how, you know, people have been bicycling there for a hundred years. Um, and whether we have to have more stringent controls and time controls and and time of day controls uh, with respect to cars, then, then let's deal with it. But this has been an ongoing subject for such a long time now. Um, just sit down and, and everybody just figure something out.
1: You know, Tim, uh, Rodney King
2: comes to mind.
1: Can't we all just get along?
2: <laughs> you, you'd wonder. You'd wonder. You know, look, one of the uh, the joys of uh, talk radio is you can weigh in on issues that you know little about, with no consequences whatsoever. So here goes. I don't live in that neighborhood. I'm not there that often. Like, three or four times I have been there. I saw the bikes as the main problem, Jerry. I saw them tearing down the hills, running through crosswalks, through stop signs. It was a risk to our family. So my view on this, in the rules and crack down on bikes as much as you would on cars. Make sure people follow it and they'll get it straight.
1: All right, so uh, uh, another fight going on, uh, and that is Metro and some of their workers. It's kind of weird. Like, some of their stores are open, some of their stores aren't. They have different unions involved, apparently. And in one case, it seemed like the union was willing to make a deal, but the membership said, no, we don't like that deal. So 27 stores are closed. And Anne-Marie, for those workers who are currently on strike, Metro is saying, well, we're going to halt access to benefits until you come back to work. To me, that seems fair.
3: I, I think it is actually normal too that during a strike, it's usually by the second week, which uh, we're, you know we're going to go into the the benefits start getting cut off as well because if you're not getting, you're not on the payroll, then you're not getting benefits. That's kind of how it works, so that's kind of typical. Um, but you know, in this, you know, we have seemed to have a lot of uh, strikes. I've come from experience with that, with lots of uh, different strikes. There's a lot of unrest from people. But in particular, the grocery world, you know, they were not shut down during uh, the pandemic. They reaped extra benefits during the pandemic you know where that's the only place we could go people usually go there to socialize at least i did and you, the restaurants were closed so you had to buy extra food we all got into bread making so they really reaped the the benefits from it and they didn't get hurt like the rest of us did and many of us did during the pandemic so um and and grocery workers are kind of some of some of the lowest paid they reach like all retail workers so i can see what they're upset generally and, uh, and, uh, at, uh, and, and that they don't, they are getting, the workers I think are getting a lot of sympathy, not the grocery
1: uh, chain. Well, uh, Mark, the grocery stores have uh, lost uh, a lot of whatever goodwill they might have had. I don't know if people had goodwill or badwill to the grocery stores. It was just uh, one of the very essential things in our lives. And we went and bought groceries and we went home. Uh, and, and that was pretty much it. My first job, other than a paper route and cutting people's grass, was at a grocery store. Uh, But of late, with the price-fixing scandals and not only extra profit, but extra profit margin, which makes you start to wonder if, in fact, they are jacking prices to some degree, nobody feels sorry for the grocery stores.
0: No, they don't, and we we saw we saw the bread uh, conspiracy, and now in the last couple of days, there's a whole new discussion about whether that type of price fixing uh, was was carried on through through meat and and pork and and poultry things of that nature, and that's ongoing now too. So like n- nobody's going to have a tag day for anybody uh, who, who owns one of these grocery stores, but I think it's important to note, even though the benefits are going to be cut off as per their current working agreement, which that which Unifor had signed up, you know, in Along with some time ago, that Unifor, all, Unifor also has an emergency uh, uh, benefits fund in, in in their bank as well. So it's not like these employees are going to go and and you know try and get their prescriptions filled and there'll be nothing there. They do have to apply through Unifor. So it's not like they're being left out in the dry. Um, but again, th- this is part of this is all part of labor relations and all part of working agreements and 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 people getting to the bargaining table. That, you know, Unifor. Uh, put put the the last proposal to the workers. They decided to turn it down. And as, as Anne-Marie said, there are consequences to turning it down. And you do have a working agreement that's in place.
1: Sure. Uh, Tim, if uh, we're going to have a system that allows people to fight by actually shutting down their employer, then you have to agree that the employer has the right to fight back too.
2: Yeah, you need balance in the system, right? If you want to actually have successful negotiations uh, at the table, uh, each party has to have some power to bring to bear. Your your ability to advance your agenda as employer, as employees for a union, is empowered by the market power that you have outside of that bargaining room. So from the union's point of view, you know, they've got, I think, public sympathy. Everybody hates the big grocers or we just have not uh, caught up. But that is undermined, Jerry. It's only 27 stores. So they can't really inflect that much damage to Metro overall when it's a small group and they seem to be disconnected with their union leadership, as you mentioned earlier on. And the employer then, right? They have to take reputational hit. They have to take a loss of revenue, relatively minor with 27 stores but they also have the ability to cut off wages and benefits to try to force a uh, agreed-upon negotiation at the table.
1: Well, Anne-Marie, one more thing on this, and as somebody mentioned to me earlier this morning, you know, the television stations all went out with their cameras, and they, people would show up not, not having looked ahead to see whether the store was closed or not, and then they found out the store was closed, and they would say to these, it's a the man-on-the-street interview, uh, well, do you think the workers should be paid more? And the, and the citizens were all saying, yeah, they should be paid more. And I said, it's the wrong question. They should have do you want to pay more for your groceries?
3: Well, I, I get I get your point, uh, Jerry. But at the same time, I think the people look at the profits that the grocery stores are making and the prices we are already paying for groceries. Uh, so I think they already uh, think they make too much money in the first place. Especially when you see, you know, the big top guys making five. Grant $5 million and up. So so I, I don't think people aren't going to think that way at all when they know the profits that they're
1: making already. The Ontario government has spent about $7 billion less than planned this year, according to the province's budget watchdog, including about $1.6 billion less in health care, largely due to a tapering of its COVID-19 response. Tim Hudak, you were the head of the Conservatives here in provincial government. Um, we were talking earlier and saying... You know, it's hard for the average citizen to understand the truth behind all of this because it seems like politicians just have fun with
2: numbers. Oh, well, sure. Or even the accountability officer can can do the same if they're trying to drive a point. We're, we're halfway through the fiscal year. So we'll see as this emerges they get to the third and fourth quarters, how far ahead of they they might be on plan. But look, I, I actually find it refreshing, Jerry, that a government is actually underspent. Like, I mean, how many years do we have governments regularly overspending, driving up deficits and then debt. And if they are ahead of schedule. Top priority for me, paying down the debt. All the money that we borrowed, that my kids, your kids, your grandchildren listening out there are going to have to pay with interest higher now over time. I hope they're ahead of schedule. Pay down some of that debt.
1: Okay, uh, Mark, are you going to stand up for it? Nope, they need to spend billions more.
0: No, I'm with Tim. I think the irony is striking here. I mean, we, so many times we we scream and shout about, about government spending and how much they've overspent and overspent. Here we are, we're coming in under budget and now people are going crazy again because we're not spending enough. Uh, and Tim is right. We have to wait and see the end of the year. I mean, this a lot of this underspending was because of an overestimation with respect to the expenses related to COVID. So that's good. So we underspent on COVID. If there's going to be a surplus at the end of the day, then uh, you know m- maybe it has to go to the deficit maybe some more of it has to go to health care and long-term care facilities but i think isn't it nice
1: to be in a position where we've got extra money to figure out what to do with i mean it works for me no wait a minute we don't necessarily have extra money they're not saying they have seven billion sitting there under the sofa cushions uh so i guess having gone around the circle we come finally to you and marie it's up to you now to uh to shill for spending more money
3: well, I think if you, I think if I'm going to look, think from the, the point of view of people that are waiting for healthcare um, services that have um, had to bounce around hospitals, trying to get their uh, mother into a long-term care facility that is decent, that has air conditioning, that isn't going to mistreat their their parent, um, uh, That people in those circumstances, then they think in terms of... Why aren't you spending this on long-term care? Why aren't you spending this in the right place? Then, if you if you're sitting on this money, so the uh, financial accountability officer kind of does this throughout the year, and um, nothing it doesn't really change anything. I, I yeah. think we all just talk about it for a minute, and then um, and 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 again worry about our mother and what we're going to do with her at, when we can't find a, a long-term care place. anne Marie Akins.
1: Mark Middleton, Tim Hudak, thanks very much. It's 9 o'clock.